Praise be to God for that song. It's a song we don't sing very often. It's a song that uh, communicates the reality that there's some, perhaps even among us, and there's some we know, whether they're gathered with us or not, um, who may linger in coming to the truth, in coming to Christ, because they might say, they might think, well, I first must clean up myself before I come to Jesus. I, mer- I first must clean up my, my wandering ways before I come to Jesus. Friends, that is not the gospel. We don't come to Jesus after we clean up ourselves. We come to Jesus so he can clean up ourselves. He's the one who cleanses us. He's the one who, 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 who makes us clean in his sight. He's the one who cleanses us from within. And then he cleanses us from without. And that's why we sing this song, an encouragement to all of us, that we would, would realize that our greatest, our greatest need we have of Jesus is to realize our need of him. And if we have that realization of needing Christ, of needing God, that is the greatest need we can ever realize. And when we have that need, come, let us come. Well, we have come, friends, to the end of the letter of James, a letter that uh, we spent on more than uh, 25 weeks. Um, This is actually, if I counted well, the 26th week of being in the letter of James. I want to remind you that this letter is written for Christians. It's written assuming that those who hear it are Christians. If If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, I want you to to, to understand that James assumes that the way to, to the truth is not so much by, by doing all the things in this book. The way to Christ is by coming to Him by repentance and faith. Bringing your, bringing your sins to the Lord, bringing who you are to the Lord, recognizing that we, each and every one of us, has wandered away from the truth. And when we realize that we are sinners in need of God's redemption, when we are sinners realizing that we are in need of God's forgiveness, we are in, we are in need of God's grace to restore us to himself. When we come to him, when we repent of, of our sin and turn to Christ in repentance and faith, that God restores us and God gives us a new birth, that God gives us new hearts, God gives us a new nature, and by that new heart and by that new nature, God gives us the power, the ability to walk in His ways. Well, friends, if you have never turned to Christ in that way, I want to call you today to turn to Him, to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. As this song that we've just sung calls us, come to Christ. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. Perhaps you have come to Christ in the past. Perhaps you have walked this truth in the past. But it's been many, many years ago. And you have walked away from Him. You have walked away from the truth. Well, friends, the passage we are about to read this morning speaks to you and speaks to all of us who know of people who have walked away from the truth. So would you open Scripture to James chapter 5. We'll be reading 
Um, I'll be read actually for the sake of context. I'll read from verse 13 uh, all the way to the end, verse 20, even though this morning the passage will be focusing on verses 19 and 20. Here's the word of the Lord for us. If you did not bring a Bible with you, we encourage you to find a Bible provided in the chairs in front of you. You may find this passage on page number uh, 1013. Open the scripture, the word of God, and here's what he has to say to us and to our hearts. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man of, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you pray with me, asking the Lord to bless this word for our hearts. Father, we praise you that you are a God who continues to seek those who wander from the truth. Father, we confess that we, every one of us, at some point in our lives, we have wandered from the truth. We were born in this world with a nature inclined towards wandering from the truth. So each and every one of us know what that looks like. But Father, by your grace, you have revealed yourself to us, you have revealed your ways to us, and you have brought us to the truth. Father, help us to know how to engage one another with your truth, so that if any of us may wander from the truth again, we may know how to bring him back. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. We pray that you would touch our minds, our wills. We pray that you would Enable us to learn and know how to bring those who wander from the truth, how to bring them back. Would you speak to our hearts by your power, by your spirit, by your word, we pray for the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. Wow, at the end of James. This letter that been, has been very practical in so many ways, very challenging in so many ways, is now about to close, or we are about to close our series through it. As we look at these final words, the, this conclusion, we might, find that, we might find that strange that James would close on such an abrupt notice. My brothers, if any of 
among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Period. End of letter. Interesting way to conclude a letter. Um, it's not the only letter that sort of closes on such an abrupt notice, on such a, uh, such a quick, short way. Uh, if you know the letter of 1 uh, John, 1 John ends in a, in a similar abrupt way. After writing very practically about, about what it means, how do you know that you're truly in the faith, 1 John says in chapter 5, he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Period. End of letter. Close the book. You get it? In, in a way, these close, ab abrupt um, endings sort of put, put the emphasis on something that's very significant for, for, the, for these letters. In a similar way, James ends in this abrupt way, and it's, it's an emphatic way of closing the letter. Now, you remember in verse 13, James gave us some scenarios. If, uh, if anyone among you is, is suffering, let him pray. He's then giving the scenario, is anyone happy? Is anyone in a good mood? Let him praise. Then he goes on to give the scenario, is, any among you, um, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And now at the end of, of this letter, he's giving another scenario. And the scenario is, is anyone among you wandering from the truth? Interesting scenario. Why would James close this letter with this scenario? Of all the things he could have chosen as the last thing he says, James addresses the church and speaks to this possibility and to this reality of wandering from the truth. The fact that it's the last scenario that James brings in a series of scenarios shows this importance in the life of the church. So let's look at this scenario of, of wandering from the truth. And let's look at three points this morning about this scenario. And here's the first one. Here's the first truth about this scenario. Wandering from the truth. Any one of us can wander from the truth. Anyone of us can wander from the truth. I want you to look around. Those of you in the first row, you can only look to me or to those next to you. You don't need to look back. Look around. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, he's not saying, brothers, if anyone who's not among you 
wonders from the truth. He's saying, if anyone among you, among us, he's writing this truth to Christians who are living their Christian lives as members of gatherings, of churches who are gathered together. They would have elders over them who would watch over one another. And James is writing to these Christians and says, look around you. If anyone among you, the fact that James says, if anyone among you, he implies that this could happen to any church. It could happen to any believer. Christian, members of Parkhills Baptist Church, this reality is a possibility for any of us. Any of us can wander off from the truth. Perhaps you have seen that experience among us in the past. I have seen it, sadly, here at Parkhills Baptist Church, painfully. It is possible. And the word for wandering off has in it the notion of being deceived and being led astray. It's not simply that you make a turn in a wrong direction. At the heart of that turn, there is the reality of deception, of being deceived. Now, it's not merely a passive experience, although the, tr the verbs could be translated as a passive. It's not merely a passive experience where, where you can say, you can blame someone else. Someone else misled me. But the reality is that some level of deception happens in our hearts. We buy into that deception, and then we make a turn towards that deceptive way. And because of being deceived, anyone among us can wander off from the truth. And the reality of wandering off from the truth is a big deal throughout the Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament. Uh, let me just give you a few examples. In, in Matthew 24, verse 5, Jesus says, For many will come in my name, in the name of Jesus, many will come, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. In the book of Second Peter, the author speaks about those who, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. James does not give us many details about what the wandering from the truth involves, what it looks like. But if we look at the rest of the New Testament, there's two aspects that wandering from the truth involves. There's two dimensions, and it could be either one or the other, or both. On one side, the wandering from the truth can involve wandering away from the true doctrine, from the, from, the, from the revelation of God, from the truth of God as it has been revealed to us in the Scriptures, so from, from doctrine. Um, people who wander from the truth when they stop believing what the Bible says. They stop believing that the Bible is the Word of God. They stop believing in the revelation that God has inspired to be known and communicated to us in His Word. Uh, people might start hearing what other people are saying or what they themselves are saying. And they start comparing this truth, the Bible, with their own experience or with what other people are saying. And they start diminishing the truth of God. 
and they start trusting and relying more on human reason or human explanation. And in a way, they put human reason over and above the revelation of God. So people might say, well, I can no longer explain how God can be one God and yet three persons. Or I, I no longer believe that Jesus is the Son of God or that Jesus is actually God, one of the members of the, of the triune God. There's, and these are just some, some, some of the doctrines, but there's other things that people stop believing that the Bible is actually God's inspired word, uh, fully inspired and without error, and that people say, well, it's just, it's just written by men. It's true that it's written by men, but it's divinely inspired. So what we have in, in the word the words of men is the word of God speaking and addressing God. Some people will say, well, I just no longer believe that. So people can wander away from, from the truth of God's word in terms of doctrine. That's one aspect of wandering away. A second aspect of wandering away is that people can wander away from the truth of God's path. It involves more than doctrine, it involves our way of life. It's when we stop living out what God commands. The truth of God is never supposed to be accepted merely intellectually, but it's supposed to be received and then walked in light of it. So that the truth of God is not simply something that we embrace with our minds, it's something we embrace with our lives, with our hearts, with our with our actions, so that to wander away from the truth, uh, it also manifests itself whenever we begin falling in a pattern of sin, and that pattern of sin becomes a way of life for us, and we intentionally want to stay in that pattern of sin. We wander away from the truth by the fact that we actually start living in sin and want to stay living in that sin even while we hold that we are still Christians, that we still hold on to the doctrine, that we still hold on to the truth. With our minds, we may still hold on to the truth, but with our actions, with our lives, we actually have, have stirred off, have, have fallen off the path and taken off a different path. And let me just give you a few examples of how it's possible for someone to say that we know him, even though with our actions, with our lives, we choose not to walk in his ways, and how that does not work well. First uh, John, just one of the examples, First John chapter 2, verse 4. John says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In other words, you can hold on to thinking that you have the right doctrine, that you know God, and yet you're actually living in a way that is totally inconsistent with his commands. And John says, you can't hold on to both. You have actually become now a wanderer from the truth. Uh, here's uh, James. Uh, James 1 speaks of the same reality in chapter 1, verse 22. Remember, he says, but... Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then in verse 26 in the same chapter, James says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives 
his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Friends, do you realize that we can wonder from the truth even when we continue to claim that we are Christians? We can fit in the category of those who wonder from the truth even while holding on that we are Christians. Our choices of life may betray that we might be far away from the truth. So the truth from which one wanders off involves two possibilities, either one or the other or both, either the truth of doctrine or the truth of life or both. Friends, self-deception is a real possibility for any of us. This is one of the reasons why we need one another. This is one of the reasons why we need to live the Christian life together, bound together as people who watch over one another in love and charity and, and, and gentleness. We need one another to wa watch over one another so that we protect each other of the deceitfulness of sin. Listen to the warning that the book of Hebrews gives to believers who were in danger of giving up gathering together with one another. The book of Hebrews writes this letter to Christians who are in danger of giving up gathering with one another. In chapter 3 of this letter of Hebrews, the author says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Be cautious of the reality that the wandering from the truth can happen to any of us when we are being deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. That's the first part. We, I just stopped we made the first point based on the first few words of verse 19. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth. We paused there and said, friends, it is a possibility for any of us. So be cautious. Now let's move on with the verse. It goes on and says, my brothers, if any of you or any among you wanders from the truth and some or someone brings him back. Now let's pause there. There's going to be point number two. Christians are expected to rescue wanderers. Christians are expected to rescue wanderers. Friends, we need one another to exhort one another so that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But James makes it clear that there's something else involved in watching against the, deceitful, the deceitfulness of sin. It's not just we watching over ourselves, over our own selves. There's something else, according to James, that is involved in this watching against the deceptiveness of sin. And this something else is the church. The fellowship of the church. The, 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 the one another that happens in the life of the church. Friends, even though we should watch over our own hearts, Scripture is very clear that God has provided for us the church so that we can be in that community where we intentionally, generously, patiently, gently watch over one another against self-deception. Now friends, let me pause here for a second. 
there are still Christians. There's still Christians out there, and perhaps even here, who think deep down their hearts, who think that they don't need others to watch over themselves, that they are good enough and able enough by themselves and by the help of God to be isolated Christians, and they can handle it by themselves and be Lone Ranger Christians, even though they would not say that way, that they can handle it themselves to watch over themselves and not fall in the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, let me read again what James says. If anyone among you wonders from the truth, James goes on and says, and someone else brings him back. James doesn't give the scenario if anyone wonders from the truth and he comes back by himself. That's not the scenario that James has in mind. Now, I'm not saying that it's not a possibility. I, I believe it is a possibility. But when James thinks of the scenario of the wanderer, he envisions that the church would actually get around and actually seek to rescue that wanderer. That's the scenario James is addressing. It's amazing that James does not give a command that we should seek those who wonder. There's no command here in James that we should seek those who wander out from the truth. You know why there's no command? Because James expects it, that Christians already knew that's supposed to happen. And he expected that Christians are already doing it. Now, if you're looking for a command to do it, the command would be Galatians 6.1, in which Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, not just wandering off from the truth, in any transgression, in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. Now, there's a command. James doesn't need to give the command. James expects this is to be the case. He assumes this is the case in any church that he's writing to. Friends, is that expectation true among us? Is that expectation true in the churches you've been a part of in the past? That we are supposed to be doing this. The matter is not if we're going to do it, but how we do it. James also assumes that the ministry of rescuing wanderers belongs to anyone in the church, not just to the elders of the church. In the case of the sick person who was sick, he was supposed to call the elders of the church and have them come and pray over him. In the case of someone who's wandering off from the path, James assumes that anyone is involved in that. This is not just a matter for the pastor or for the deacons, this is a matter for any member of the church. Well, friends, James assumes that the whole church, that all the members of the church, are responsible to watch over one another. If any of us sees another fellow believer in our own congregation wander off from the truth, either in doctrine or in life or in the way of life, friend, don't just sit there and do nothing. Would you seek to engage the member who strays away from the truth 
for the purpose of bringing back that member to the truth. Now some, with very good intentions, would seek to defer and would say something like this. Well, let's just pray for that person and let's just pray that the Spirit would convict them. And let's not do anything else because they might leave the church. Let's not engage them because they, they might just go on, move on to another place where they can be isolated in, in that situation. And for the sake of not losing someone who's wandering off from the truth, we should seek to address him only in prayer and not in person. So they would say. Well, friends, again, I appreciate the motivation behind that advice. I appreciate the motivation that hopes for restoration. I appreciate the motivation of hoping not to lose the one who is wandering off from the truth. I appreciate the motivation that's convinced in the power of prayer to see God in prayer to convince a person who's wandering of the, of, off from the truth. And yet, if we compare that advice with what James says here, James actually assumes that Christians will do more than pray. Now, they will actually engage that person in a way that will bring them back. God's tangible help in bringing back a wanderer from his wandering ways, God's tangible help in bringing back a wanderer is other fellow believers in the church. Now James does not tell us what is involved in bringing back someone who has wandered from the truth. And how do you do it? What do you say? James does not give us details. He assumes that Christians know how to do this. Perhaps he doesn't give us the details because there are so many ways that, that you could engage in a, in a situation. Let me give you just some basic steps, some basic principles uh, of how to think about it and whether or not you'll use them the same way in every situation. It may, may vary, but, but there are some basic ways we can think about as we seek to engage someone who's wandering off from the truth. First of all, help him see his situation. Help him see his sin. Ask him if he understands that what he's doing is actually a sin. Friends, there might be some people who are wandering off from the truth and they have no idea that they have wandered from the truth. Others, they do have an idea, but they don't want to have an idea. You know what I mean? They have already suppressed the truth and they have convinced themselves that it's no longer a problem. And you have the first thing you need to start, as you engage with them gently, lovingly, is just to try to see where are they? Do they realize that their choice of life is actually not right according to God's ways? Help them see their sin. Once, once they understand, once, once you're able to help them see their sin and acknowledge that both you and them see, yeah, I understand, this is wrong. Well, if you get past that point, it's hard to move on to the next points. But let's say the Lord gives you and them grace 
And they, 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 get, they, they start realizing, okay, I, I get it. What I'm doing is, is sin. Well, the next thing you do is help them judge their sin. Help them judge their sin for what it truly is. Uh, help them see that their sin is not just a shortcoming. Just a, just a failure. Just a, just a weakness. Uh, here's a, 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 a biblical language oftentimes people throw around about sin. Um, it's just a, a missing of the mark. Friends, that's not how God judges sin. Sin in the eyes of God is more than a weakness or a shortcoming or a missing of the mark. Hey, good try. Uh, you didn't really make it, but good try. No, that's not what sin is. Sin in the eyes of God is a rebellion against God. Help the other person judge their own sin to realize that they have not just missed something here, that they have actually rebelled against God. And their sin, no matter how small or big, if intentionally carried on, is not just a, a, a struggle. It is actually an intentional rebellion against the one who made them, against the one who actually gave his son to rescue them from that sin. Help the other person understand the gravity of sin and help them judge sin according to God's way. And after you have, if the Lord gives you grace and you've made it through the second step, where they, they, they become, they realize the, the great importance, the great heaviness of sin, help them repent of sin. Encourage them to confess their sin and, and to turn away from it. Help them see that the grace of God, as Titus says, that the grace of God has appeared. And this grace of God has appeared to bring salvation to all people. And this grace of God has appeared training us to renounce all ungodliness or to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And as you help another person forsake his sin, as you help this other person repent of his sin, work with him what that means, what that forsaking looks like, and commit to pray for that person, and commit to meet, meet with him periodically to talk about that forsaking, because it's not just a, a one-time deal. It's not just a decision. It's a way of life. That forsaking is a way of life as well. Commit to meet with that person to talk through the issues. Commit to pray and to meet with that person to, to even read scripture or read a book that addresses that particular matter. Come alongside a wanderer. Make yourself available to engage with them and assure them of, of, your, of your support, of your desire to link arms with that person so that person no longer has to walk in that wandering of sin. Well, friends, I pray that we would be people who, in gentleness and grace, would link arms with one another, even with those who wander off from the truth, seeking them, making ourselves available for them, pursuing them, and wanting to encourage them to, to return to God. Well, you might say, well, what if that person, what if I walk through these steps and that person does not want to turn back? Friends, realize that none of us 
none of us can twist anyone's arm to turn back to the grace of God. None of us can do it. None of us can force someone. At the end of the day, we may try gently, persistently, um, but, but graciously bring someone back and, and seek to bring them back from the truth. But at the end of the day, if that person doesn't want it, friends, realize that if they persist in their ways and want to persist in their ways, Scripture gives us other instructions of how to respond to someone who continues to persist in their ways of error. Let me give you just a few examples without giving much explanation. I think these are going to be self-explanatory. Um, Second Thess- uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the tradition that you have received from us. So you keep away from someone who's, who wants to stay different, live differently from the teaching we have given you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11, Paul says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. If a wanderer from the truth wants to stay in his wandering ways after gently, graciously being engaged and encouraged to be brought to the truth, if he wants to stay in his ways, we cannot help him. We cannot force him. But at the same time, Scripture teaches us in that case, we can no longer maintain our fellowship with him. Our fellowship must be severed. And if that's the case, we have texts like, first, like Matthew 18 or 1 Corinthians 5 that give us instructions of how we need to remove someone from membership in that case. It's a painful situation. Realize there are times when seeking to engage a wanderer from the truth may not bring positive results. But here's the encouragement. The more we engage one another in our wanderings from the truth early, when it starts budding up, when it starts growing, the less chances that we'll have to do the, the, the separation of fellowship. If we watch over one another, if we engage graciously one another in the early stages when, when we are tempted to wander off, friends, the more chances we have that, that that hardness of heart is caught on early and we can actually be veered back by God's grace, by His fellowship, by His Spirit, veered back to the truth. So we've looked briefly at these two truths, that Christians can wander from the truth. Christians are expected to rescue wanderers. Thirdly, the third point, why should we rescue wanderers? Why should we rescue wanderers? Why not just leave them alone? Why not just just pray for them and and do nothing else? Why simply, um, why actually engage them? Seek them. Seek to bring them back for two reasons that the text gives us. First, we will save his soul from death. We will save his soul from death. 
Let, look at verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Notice that James now describes this brother as a sinner. He will save the sinner. Whoever brings back a sinner. Now, friends, we saw this last week. In some ways, every member of a church is a sinner. And yet, members of a church are a subset of sinners. The sinners who have said no to sin, turned their backs to sin, and intentionally and willingly want to pursue God and fight off against sin. Now, we still sin, even in this category. We still fall into sin, but we continue to be characterized by a desire to fight off sin, and then when we fall into sin, we seek to, to forsake it and always come back to the truth. And yet, there's sometimes situations when we fall into sin and we so enjoy it and so love it that we start to say, take the side of sin and start defending sin and start explaining sin and start hiding sin that we now are called squarely sinners. Not because we're simply sinner by nature, but because we're now sinners or sinning by characteristic of intentionally wanting to sin. Remember that James speaks of the temptation that we, any of us, can fall for temptation and choose to sin. And James says when we fall into that temptation and then choose to stay in that path of sin, when we choose to, wa to wander off from the truth into the path of wandering and the path of sin, notice what James says. That if we bring someone back from that path, we will save his soul from death. James is not speaking here merely of physical death. He's speaking of spiritual death. He's speaking about not only of the body being saved from death, he's speaking about the, the soul being saved from death. Turning back to sin brings us death, even for people who claim to be Christians. Remember, at the beginning of the letter, James, in chapter 1, spoke of Christians who face temptations. And he said in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James does not want us to forget that when anyone among us wanders from the truth, they are taking the path that leads to death. Christian, Take no comfort in the fact that you've accepted Christ in your heart. And yet, you can wander off from the truth with no consequence for your soul. In this text, James makes it very clear that unless a wanderer is turned back from his wandering, his destiny, his way, leads to death. That is why, as Christians, we should take very seriously this command and this responsibility of rescuing someone who wanders off from the truth. That person may be a close friend. That person may be a, a member of, of your family. That, that person may be a member in our congregation. Friend, feel the eternal significance of bringing back a wanderer from the truth. James says, do you realize that you're bringing back someone and save his soul from death? Occasionally I hear someone say about another person, 
oh, so-and-so, sadly, is no longer walking with the Lord. But I know he's saved. Have you heard people say that? Friends, here's why that explanation and that statement is very misleading. First of all, to stop walking with the Lord is to wander from the truth. You can't stay on the path of truth if you have stopped walking with the Lord. You may hold on to truth as doctrine. You may hold on to truth as, as knowledge. But you have left off the path of acting that truth. In, walk, in stopping to walk with the Lord, someone has wandered off from the truth. Secondly, the other misleading part about that sentence is that most people, when they say that, they say it as a way to assure their hearts that the other person is fine eternally, even though they're not walking currently with the Lord. Friends, James tells us we should not be assured. We should feel the weight of what is involved when someone has walked away from the way of truth. They are walking on a, on a path that is destined towards death, and there should be nothing in us that should keep us secure and safe and assured that they are fine eternally, when in reality, we have to realize that turning them back, we're turning their soul from death. So I encourage you, please don't use that statement ever, ever, ever. It's just not good for you. It's not good for the other person. It's not good for us as a congregation. If we see someone wandering off from the truth, let's take the initiative to bring them back to the fold and bring them back to the Lord. A second reason why we should seek to bring a wonder back to the truth is because we will cover a multitude of sins. Look at verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from this wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, it's unclear what covering involves here. Is it referring to covering the sins of the person who is restoring someone? Or is it talking about the sins of the person who has actually wandered off? Grammatically, both are possible explanations. Grammatically. Biblically, theologically, I'm personally convinced that it's talking more about the person who has wandered off. But still, the issue is, how will bringing someone back to the truth will cover their sins? Well, first of all, let's clarify what covering of sins means. It does not mean covering them in the sense of, sense of hiding them, like we turn them back, so we cover their sins. We know that only the Lord Jesus can cover our sins with his blood, and only by that means are our sins going to be covered. Uh, covering of sins in the, in the biblical sense doesn't mean, like, pretend they're not there. Cover them and, you know, pretend like they're not there. Rather, when God covers our sins, he is no longer holding that guilt against us. So that when it says that God covers our sins, he's actually saying, I am no longer making those sins stay against you. Covering. That's the meaning that we see in Psalm 32 when the psalmist says, and he says this after he has returned to the Lord, after his sin 
with Bathsheba. The psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Oh, friends, that's what it means to have our sins covered, that God no longer counts the iniquity of our sin against us. Friends, this is a be second benefit of bringing back wonder from the truth. That wondering, that covering of sin happens as we turn away from, tr from the sin and embrace Christ and His forgiveness and we come back to truth. It's only the blood of Jesus that can cover us of our sin. And yet the blood of Jesus covers us of our sin when we turn away. That's why when we, why should we seek to bring a wonder back? Because we will make it possible for that person to have a multitude of their sins covered. Not because of what we do, not because of our power, but because of the repentance, the turning away that happens. And when they come to the Lord, the Lord receives them. Oh friend, if you're here this morning and you are one of these wanderers, can I encourage you? Can I plead with you? Come back to the Lord. He's ready to forgive you. He is ready to receive you. He's ready to have your sins covered, to cover your sins, so that you may say, like the psalmist, blessed is the man. There's no greater blessing. There's blessedness. The greatest blessing is to have our sins forgiven. Turn to the Lord. Friends, for those of us who have made that turn, for those of us who, who are living in the truth, would you notice when someone else wanders off from the truth? Would you notice when someone else wanders off from the truth? What are the signs that you know that someone walks from the truth? There are some very clear signs. Some of the clear signs are when someone verbally and visibly abandons the faith. They say they, I want, they get, want to give up the, the Christian faith. They, have, they want to have nothing to do with the gospel, with the Bible, with Christianity, with a God um, that revealed himself in the scriptures. They say, I want to have nothing to do with that. That is a very visible, clear way when someone may say, I'm, I'm just, I'm no longer, I'm veering off from the truth. But sadly, we've had some of that here in our own midst. Sadly, painfully. Well, it's hard to miss those. Those are very clear ways. We see, you see someone wandering off from the truth. But there's some other less glaring ways when you see people wander off from the truth. And I want to bring just a few that I've noticed that I want to bring to your attention so that as you talk to one another, as you discuss, as you observe one another, as you, not that you should seek that out, but as you just talk normally, naturally with one another, that you look for these things and, and, and be observant of these matters. People who, who are wandering off the truth begin diminishing what the Bible says. There's going to be a disrespect or a less caring for what the Bible says. You bring something out, you talk about a situation that doesn't look like it's in accordance with Scripture and say, well, how do you think about what the Bible would say about that? And their reaction is, well, you know, the Bible says a lot of other things. And they start finding reasons how, well, you know what, we don't need to really do everything the Bible says, or we don't need to really pay attention to everything the Bible tells us to do. There is an attitude of, let's just not worry about this as much. Or there are so many other ways you can be fully consistent in what this book says. So people actually diminish the, 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 the importance of Scripture. People who wander away from the truth start having weird interpretations of the Bible. They will try to accommodate 
what the Bible says, and make room for their particular issue. Friends might say, um, well, listen, there's, um, I know this is a, it says here this truth, but look, elsewhere it says this, so I'm still following the Bible when I do this other thing. Friends, can I just simply say, even the devil used the Bible when tempting Jesus to do something wrong? It is possible for people to actually use the Bible and embrace it while they actually seek to wander off from the truth. Even that is possible. So be weary. Be cautious. You know someone else is wandering off from the truth when they are rejecting God's authority over them. They're no longer willing to submit to God's ways. They're no longer uh, willing to love God or to be great, uh, full of gratitude to Him and out of that love and gratitude to joyfully live in God's ways. You know when someone is wandering off from the truth, when they begin to exp explain their sin away, why it's okay for them to do it, they will say things like, well, listen, I, if I followed what God says, I would be miserable. I first someone say that to me once. So are we supposed to be worshiping the idol of make me happy, God? God would make me miserable. I, I, I've, if I were to do everything God says, um, like the, the life would be horrible. Friends, when someone gives you those kind of reasons, you are facing someone who has already walked off from the truth. He has embraced think views about God that are exactly opposite of the way Scripture describes God. There are many ways in which someone can wander off from the truth, but the heart of wandering from the truth is a hardness of heart that stops caring about God's ways. Remember how James started this book? He was concerned that... and throughout the letter, that Christians don't just hear the truth, but they do the truth. Now at the end of the letter, James tells us that Christians should be deeply concerned that other Christians also do the truth. Throughout this letter, James has warned us about self-deception. He has warned us about a dead faith. He has warned us about earthly wisdom that actually looks like wisdom, but is demonic wisdom. Or he has warned us about the danger of double-mindedness, of trying to be friends with God and friends with the world. For James, faith is primarily set forth. I love how someone said it. James, for James, faith is primarily set forth not as an acceptance of concepts about God and salvation, but as a loyalty to a person. Faith is set forth as loyalty to a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. So hold on to um, certain truths about God, but don't stop there. Holding on to truth about God involves our loyalty to Christ. Otherwise, our faith is no faith at all. Faith is not simply being intellectually persuaded. For James, genuine faith, which is the theme of this entire letter, is an attitude that is quick to hear and ready to act. For James, faith, genuine faith is an attitude that is quick to hear and ready to act. For genuine faith submits to God. Genuine faith endures under trial. Genuine faith, as opposed to other forms of faith that looks like faith, but are not true or not genuine. Friends, may we be a church in which it's normal and natural for us to watch over one another. 
in a spirit of gentleness and love so that we may be a people who not only hear the word, but do the word. That we may be a people who not only have a form of faith, but we have genuine faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who indeed seeks out the wanderer. Father, would you help us to be people who seek out those who wander among us and help us to do so in grace and love and gentleness. And may we be a people in which genuine faith manifests itself by a different way of life, a life that characterizes you, a life that continues to, to seek after you lovingly, gently, graciously, full of gratitude for your grace. In his name, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, thank you.